As if our spouse's betrayal were not enough, now we have to suffer along with the world through social isolation, fear, and the possible death of loved ones. It can make a person start doubting God or asking the question, how good can God be when I and so many others are in so much pain? Hi, I'm Kim Pullen, founder of Hope for Spouses, and welcome to this week's episode of Lunchtime Live. For those of you who are new to our ministry, I started Hope for Spouses after mine and my husband's separation due to his adultery. And during those four years that we were separated, I chose to focus on my own healing. It was a very difficult road, lots of ups, lots of downs. But I just chose to use the scriptures and gathered around me a safe circle of others who could help me on my journey. And I got out of God's way and let him work on my husband. And boy, did he ever. So we've been back together now for uh, four and a half years. And we have an incredibly emotionally intimate relationship. And we both really believe that the reason for that is because God is at the center of it. So now here we're, um, if you're watching this anytime in 2020 or 2020, you know that uh, right now or this time we're going through some craziness with this social isolation. And we thought it was hard enough for us as betrayed partners that we have either a partner who's committed adultery or is addicted to porn. And especially if they're living with us, that was hard enough. At least they would go to work. And, but now there's a lot of us who are stuck home, who can't work. And so we're either living with our betrayed partner or maybe they're living with somebody else. Maybe they're addicted to porn. And as if our pain before wasn't bad enough, now it gets even more magnified in what's going on. And what, what we start to realize is we have built expectations that if we are believers in God, we have these expectations expectations of God in the middle of this that why is this happening uh, why am I in a marriage where this is going on this was not my plan you know I, I believe in God I consider myself a Christian life is supposed to be good you know God's supposed to bless me if I believe in him but when we do that what we don't we unwittingly do we don't realize it is that we start treating God like a vending machine you know, I put in my good stuff and God's supposed to shoot me out what he's supposed to do for me. As if, like, God is the clay in our hands instead of the other way around. It talks about that in Isaiah 29, 16. And essentially, we become practical atheists. You know, we are going to basically tell God that, you know, I appreciate it, uh, but you just need to do what I think you need to do. And what that really leads us into is something we call a, a prosperity gospel. Uh, and you really only see this in the West. You don't really see this in, in a lot of other cultures. But it's a minus that has leaked into our church culture is that, you know, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that we all deserve it. It's everybody's right to have that. And so when things don't go well, we start equating that with the God of the Old Testament who, you know, cast his displeasure on his people by cursing them or, you know, having a hard time. And really, God allowed people to go into their sin mostly because they were suffering the consequences of their sin. They were worshiping idols. They weren't being obedient to God. 
And so there were consequences to those things. And so we can start equating when bad things are happening, when, when life isn't as you know, wonderful as we want it to be, we start questioning God. We start questioning, you know, is God really good? Yeah, and it's true that God often lets unbelievers suffer the consequences of their sin, but God never, ever promised his believers that their life would be challenge-free. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. In fact, it says just the opposite. Uh, and, and Isaiah 55, 8-9 even says that God doesn't think like we do. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They are way above ours. Like he thinks on a whole different plane than we do. So as Westerners, I really want to encourage you to look at the history of Christianity outside of America and really see that for the most part, most people who call themselves Christians in other countries were persecuted, were ridiculed. Their life was not hunky-dory. In fact, it was usually more challenging to be a Christian in any other country than it has been in the West. We've kind of normalized it. And so it's come to mean, you know, a cushy life when you call yourself a Christian. You know, we end up acting like privileged children and, and we're unfamiliar with suffering for righteousness, for what it really means to be a Christian. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, in our marriage that we are living a righteous life and so we're getting persecuted by our spouse unless we are choosing to follow God's standard in our marriage and our spouse is not. And then we'll get backlash from them. But, but suffering comes to everyone. And I think that's the key is really understanding that our expectations oftentimes are in contradiction to what the scriptures really teach. And the fact that we live in a very sinful world, Romans 8, 18 through 25, really says that, that, that our world is in a state, steady state of moral decay. I mean, this is a sinful world. And so we're going to, you know, we're going to get the, the tomatoes of sin thrown in our face. We're going we're gonna to feel the brunt of it because this world is sinful. Nobody is immune to that. Uh, in fact, in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 10, God says there's a time for everything. There's a time for laughing. There's a time for crying. There's a time for living. There's a time for dying. There's a time for dancing. There's a time for mourning. That all of these things happen to everyone. It's a part of being alive. And just as, you know, because we are followers of Jesus, it doesn't exempt us from pain and suffering. And honestly, us as sinners, we probably meted out some of that suffering to others ourselves. Um, we could have even crossed our spouse's boundaries by trying to control them and trying to control what's going to happen in our marriage. So we have to be really careful in questioning God, and we may be asking the wrong questions. And, and really, when you think about it, Jesus, you know, he was the most righteous man that ever walked the planet, and yet I don't know if there's anybody who suffered quite as much as he did because he fought so hard to not be in sin. I mean, he was rejected by his own people. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was falsely accused. He was tortured, and then he was murdered. So if Jesus himself, as righteous as he was, would have to suffer pain, then, of course, we're probably going to have to suffer it. When my husband and I, when uh, in early part of our marriage, our first child, when I was four months pregnant, a little more than four months pregnant, I found out that the baby I was carrying had some birth defect issues, and he was what they call a trisomy 21.
I'm sorry, trisomy 18. Trisomy 21 is Down syndrome. So trisomy 18. So he had a lot of birth defects. And I carried him for another six weeks. And it was a really the most tragic time of my life up to that point. I had never lost anybody close to me. And so it was very difficult. I had to really work through a lot of questioning God's goodness. You know, I had devoted myself to God for many, many years. I had served in his church. I had uh, served in a lot of different areas. And I didn't understand why this was happening. Why couldn't um, I have a normal child? And the baby ended up coming early and died during delivery. And it was very hard to go through that, to let go of that baby, to hold him you know, as he was, he was dead in my arms and to say goodbye when I left the hospital. That was, but it, it helped me to, to really go deeper in my, uh, my choice to trust in God's goodness. And I understand why God was doing that, but I trusted that he, he had a bigger plan than mine. And then I found out that my next son was autistic when he was two and a half. He did not follow the developmental patterns that he needed to. And the doctors kept saying, oh, it's no big deal. A lot of boys are a little slower. But he ended up having 19 rounds of antibiotics before he was two, because we didn't know any different. They didn't really know a lot about autism as much as they do now. But it ended up leading to probably making his autism worse. So he's 22 now, and he's still in the middle of the spectrum. But it has created a lot of challenge in my marriage, in my life, in my life with my other kids as well. And I know God has used that in my life, but it was very, very challenging. And I ended up having to go back and remember my first son and what I went through with my first son uh, and losing him and using that as kind of a touchstone for myself. And then later on, I found one of my daughters had a learning disability. She has something called dyspraxia. And so the two halves of her brain didn't communicate with each other. And so it really caused some major issues with her learning. And so I had to do some homeschooling and it was very hard for both of us. And we finally got her into a good program where she really could excel. She's an A student now. But all of those things were just precursors to my husband's infidelity. And the fact that he had 12 affairs before I even found out about them and it was incredibly difficult the four years that we were separated and i remember praying and asking god why did you let this happen you know i've been devoted i've been a devoted disciple of yours for 30 years i don't understand and i was honest with god why me why would you allow this to happen to me but i didn't realize that god had a greater purpose for my life than what i was living and it's why i'm here right now it's why you're watching this video because God had a purpose for me to help impact other ladies who are going through the same thing that I went through, to be able to help guide them back to the scriptures. And so sometimes we don't realize the suffering that God is taking us to, through, what the purpose of it is. And I think that's the big thing that I really want you to grasp from this is that we have to look at pain and suffering on a completely different way than the world does. So pain, and think of the you need to think of pain and suffering as the anvil on which God shapes our character. And when you think about it, God himself, God himself has suffered because of our sin. In Genesis 6, 5 through 6, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness 
of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the hearts of the human heart was evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So God himself grieved. God was in pain. His heart ached because of his people and what they had done and what they were doing and continue to do. And God also grieved with his son on the cross that, you know, he had to send his son to the cross and God had to turn his back on his own son and says in Luke 23, 44 to 45, the darkness covered the land for three hours and then the sun stopped shining. But there was an earthquake. Matthew 27, 51 through 53 says that the tombs broke open and holy people were resurrected and that even the temple of the, 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 the curtain, the veil that separated the most holy place from the Holy of Holies in the temple of Jerusalem was torn in two. Now think of it. This is a curtain that is 30 by 30 and three inches thick. And it was torn from top to bottom. And it was basically, it was, it was God's anguish. In the Old Testament, they would, uh, whenever somebody uh, was grieved, they would tear their garments as a sign of grief. And, and this was God's tearing, but it was also the avenue through which he was basically saying that the separation between God and man has now been covered through Jesus' death. But it was God's anguish over letting his son have to go to the cross and being separated from his own son. And then God himself suffered as Jesus. He, Jesus was the, the earthly form of God. And it says in John 1, 10 through 11, that you know, he was rejected by his own people. They didn't even recognize him. In Hebrews 2, 10, it says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation, and that was Jesus, perfect or mature or complete through what he suffered. And then in Hebrews 5, 7 to 8, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. And though he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And see, so even God, as Jesus here, had to suffer. And he suffered for a purpose. It was to turn him into what he needed to be, to be the perfect sacrifice for all of our sin. And, and God uses it that way. So, and then today, God himself is rejected. Jesus himself is rejected every day by us. You know, he's cursed. He's abandoned. He's verbally abused. He's disavowed. He's even gaslighted. You know, when people say, he doesn't exist. How many times have you heard you say, I didn't say that. You know, you didn't say that. I mean, it makes us start questioning our, our sanity. God doesn't question his sanity because, you know, he knows everything. But we do that with God. We question. You know, we, we doubt sometimes him. Even, even us doubting his goodness. Even in that, God suffers with that. And so we have to, we have to remember that even God himself, even Jesus suffered. So why would we think that we won't suffer? In John 15, 20, it says that no servant is greater than his master. If Jesus suffered, then we're going to suffer. And so we have to see that, that suffering is unbiased. If you're alive, 
you will suffer. It's, it's part of being human because we live in a sinful world. The key, though, is our attitude and how we choose to view suffering, how we choose to view pain. So if we choose to view suffering instead as a blessing, then it can teach us a very valuable thing. It could teach us what it taught Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, which is that we can't rely on ourselves. We have to rely on God. And sometimes God allows us, just like he did with Paul, God allows us to have difficulties in our life. And he allows us those things to stay in our lives so that we continue to rely on him and not on ourselves. We don't make ourselves our idol, but God stays seated on the throne of our life because we are too weak to do things on our own. So he allows those things to be in our life. And also, he wants to conform us to his will rather than us driving our own car and going off a cliff somewhere. I mean, Jesus himself, when he was getting ready to go to the cross in Matthew 26, 39, it says, God, not my will, but yours. That even in his death, Jesus wanted his will to be God's. That he was willing to submit to such incredible suffering because he knew that ultimately what he was doing was for the greater good, for a higher purpose than just his life here. But also suffering is to perfect us, is to make us more and more into the image of Christ. It talks about that in Ephesians 4.24. To change our character. In Romans 5, 3-4, it says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And see, with suffering, it forces us to change. It forces us to go through a very narrow opening where God's trying to take us to the other side, where he's trying to lead us so we learn some things that we would never be able to learn otherwise. I have no doubt that all the things that I went through, the losing my first child, my son's autism, my daughter's challenges with learning this, uh, her learning disability, and then ultimately my husband's infidelity and my facing my own issues with idolatry, that I, all those things have transformed my character. I am a totally different person. And who knows, if I had continued on that track, I might have lost my salvation because I would have still had myself on the idol of my life, thinking I was okay. But God used all those things. And, and there's probably still going to be suffering sometime in my life. Sometimes it's challenging even now. I have an 81-year-old mother. I'm concerned that she's going to get sick. I have my, one of my daughters has uh, asthma, and so I don't want her to get sick. So there's a heaviness in my heart for my family uh, with the COVID-19 thing now. So, but I have to remember that God is teaching me to rely on him and not on myself, that these, this suffering is actually teaching me to trust him more than I trust myself or what I can see with my own eyes. And then suffering also is to discipline us and to help us to become righteous. It says in Hebrews 12, 7, uh, um, sorry, Hebrews 12, 7 and 12, it says, endure hardship as discipline, like to view it as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, heck no, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 
And nobody likes to be in pain. Nobody, we don't like disciplining our children. It hurts us to do that. But we know as parents that our kids can't understand sometimes why we're doing what we're doing, but we're seeing the long term. We're seeing 20, 30, 40 years down the road. What kind of adults do we want them to be? And so we as parents have to train them. So we discipline them. We do, God is doing the same thing with us. He can see 20, 30, 40 years down the road for us. And where he wants us to be. He wants us to get to heaven. And so, yes, he disciplines us. And we can't understand it right now, but he's got a long-term plan for it. And if he if he loved us so much that he was sent Jesus down on this earth to die on the cross for us, surely we can learn to trust him when we can't see what he's doing and why he's doing it. So we have to come back to that question. How good can God be when I am in so much pain? And the fact is, God is good. And that goodness doesn't change. God doesn't change. He stays the same now and forever. And the scriptures, there's lots of scriptures that talk about that. Exodus 34, 6, Psalm 23, 6, Psalm 34, 8, 84, 11, 86, 5, 106, um, 1, 107, 1, 145, 9, uh, Nahum 1, 7, Matthew 7, 11, Mark 10, 18, Romans 8, 28, and 11, 22, and James 1, 17. Those are just a tiny little bit. There's a ton more. There are so many scriptures, and, and even just contextually, Looking at the scriptures, you see the goodness of God all the way through scripture. So it's super important that we understand that, that, that God's goodness doesn't change based on our circumstances. If we are suffering, then we must be the one who doesn't see God clearly or what he is doing in our lives. We just, we don't recognize it. We don't see the patterns that are there. So we need to question our questions or we need to be asking the right questions. So here is a question for you now. Which, 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 where are you going to go? So are you going to ask the question, why is God allowing me to suffer this way? Which is really an attitude of entitlement uh, and pride. Or are you going to ask the question, what is God trying to teach me in my suffering and pain? See, that's the attitude of a servant. Of, of a humble servant of God, which is really what God has called all of us to be if we are really following him. Okay, so in summary, how do we start asking the right question? Number one, we have to align our expectations to God's, not the world's. Number two, we have to accept that we live in a sinful world. And number three, we have to embrace suffering as a means for God to build our faith and shape our character. All right, now it's easy to talk about this stuff, but living it out in the mid midst of a topsy-turvy world and a betrayed spouse, oh my goodness, that's like a whole different story. So if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty and really get practical about how to do that and how to follow a biblical strategy about how to do that, then I want you to go ahead and schedule a call with me. It's hopeforspouses.com slash call. Again, hopeforspouses.com slash call. We'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes or an hour or so, give you a chance to kind of share where you're at. And then we'll look at the scriptures and really help you to start seeing your life through God's eyes. And I also offer a coaching program. And if we're a good fit, I might offer that. But there's lots of free resources here at Hope for Spouses on our webpage as well, hopeforspouses.com. You can check that out. And also view a lot of our other videos 
here on our YouTube channel. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Hope for Spouses Lunchtime Live. We'll see you next week.